Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. And before the episode begins, I would just like to let you know that Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71, features scary stories from around the globe on a weekly basis that aim to fuel your nightmares with a smile. And if you enjoy the podcast, it would be great if you could hit that subscribe button and drop a review. But thanks for listening, guys. And without further ado, let's begin. This happened to me about five years ago, I think, so some details are a bit fuzzy, but I'm sharing this exactly how I remember it. So when I was in high school, I was best friends with this girl called Sarah. Sarah and I were practically inseparable, and Sarah was what you would consider the cool girl. She was charismatic, spontaneous, rebellious, confident, and incredibly beautiful. She was also somewhat of a bad influence, though. Don't get me wrong, she never pressured me into doing anything that I wasn't comfortable with, i.e. drinking, smoking, older boys, and all that sort of stuff, but she did bring me into some questionable situations, to say the least. But I truly loved her and cherished our friendship. She was the sister that I really never had, and I'm the eldest child and the only girl born to Eastern European immigrants, so naturally, I grew up in a very strict and controlling household. I realized my parents were only like this to try and protect me, but feeling so caged only made me want to venture out more, really. And this itch to be rebellious is what I think caused my lapse of judgment to agree to Sarah's plan that night. So it was a summer break between my junior and senior year of high school. Our mutual friend Riley, an amateur photographer, Sarah's boyfriend Ryan, and their friend Cherry and myself were all sleeping over Sarah's house already a rare occurrence because of how strict my parents were. We were all chilling though on the couch just watching ghost adventures when Sarah was telling us about an episode that she was watching earlier about this place called The Domes in Arizona. She was telling us how there was supposedly a satanic cult that practiced there and how we should go and check it out. We live southeast of Phoenix and would be able to get there in about 45 minutes. I looked at my phone's clock and saw that it was about 10pm. And this is where I should have objected, but I wanted to do something cool and adventurous, so I said yes. Everyone was excited and grabbed their supplies and piled into my crappy 2005 Golda Honda Accord. And to get to the domes, you need to drive in the middle of the desert. And anyone who lives in the desert knows just how creepy it can be at night. Maybe it was the dark, desolate highway. Maybe it was the realization of what we were going to do, or maybe my guardian angel telling me that I'm a dumbass, but I started to just get really nervous about this trip. My thighs were shaking, and I just had this gut feeling that we should not be going to this place. I tried to voice my concerns as well, but everyone said that I was being paranoid and basically just told me to shut up and drive. We finally got off the highway though and drove on a dirt road for a few miles, until we pulled up to a chain link fence with a gap in it. I pulled the car around so it was facing the exit, just in case we needed a speedy getaway. 
and as soon as I parked, Sarah, Cherry and Ryan all jumped out and started walking through the fence. Riley hopped out too, but waited about five feet from the car for me so I wouldn't have to walk alone. I was hiding everyone's valuables because my car's locking mechanism was actually broken and all the locks need to be manually opened. Since I already had a bad feeling about this place, I opted to keep the doors unlocked, just in case we needed to all get in quickly. As I was hiding their stuff, I had the sudden urge to look to my left. Across the street was a tall line of hedges and there appeared to be a man standing in the shadows just watching me. For some reason, this didn't immediately spark terror in me. Instead, I was just kind of curious and a bit confused. I was wondering if he actually lived around the area or if it was just a, a human-shaped shadow or something, but I looked at this thing for about three seconds until I finished what I was doing and go out to join Riley. When I got to her, I asked, did you see that man? But Riley, confused, replied with, what man? I didn't see anybody. So, in the end, I just kind of shrugged it off and we started walking. You needed to walk about an eighth of a mile on dirt to get to the domes, and if you Google Grande Domes, pictures should come up, but I'll describe them anyways. So, there are multiple concrete domes in this center, and they vary in shape. I remember one that stood alone was UFO-shaped, while others were more circular and kind of connected. The domes appeared to be abandoned while they were still being built and had been standing there for quite some time. They were made of concrete, were covered in graffiti, and most had chunks of the ceiling missing as the brutal Arizona sun had wore it down, so much in fact that they'd begun to fall apart. When Riley and I entered one of the domes, the first thing that I noticed was just how the structures manipulated the sound. Because of their shape, sound bounced really strangely inside. You could hear noises across the room like they were right next to you and could barely be able to hear the person right beside you. Also, it was the middle of the night in the desert. There's no light pollution out there, so the only lights that we had were the moon, our phone flashlights, and Riley's dad's police-style flashlight. And the combination of the shadows and the sounds were very disorientating to say the least. So Riley and I were walking through these domes, chatting as she took photos until we caught up to the rest of the group. As we were walking, I could have sworn that I was hearing footsteps walking behind us on the dirt. And when we were rounding a corner, I looked back and I definitely saw a man tailing us. I saw this man multiple times throughout the night, in fact, and I would always ask Riley if she saw or heard anything too, but she always denied it and again told me that I was just being paranoid. The longer we stayed there, though, just the weirder things became. Others started hearing footsteps echoing outside, even if we were standing still. While we were in the center of the dome, we discovered a giant pentagram drawn on the floor with bones in the middle. I'm hoping that these were just someone's lunch leftovers from their edgy picnic or something, because I don't want to think that we were standing on the remnants of some satanic ritual. But while we were looking at the pentagram, we started hearing scratching on the walls. Not short and rapid scratches like an animal digging, but... Really long, slow scratches like something or someone was trying to make its presence known. At this point, Ryan and I were asking to leave because it was definitely getting to be a bit too freaky. But then in the middle of us protesting, Cherry's face became expressionless and she slowly turned around and started walking towards the back of the room to what appeared to be either an exit or entrance of another room with a pony wall between us and it. As Cherry was walking in this trance-like state, Sarah was saying to her, Don't go in there. Cherry, someone is following you. I'm telling you, don't go in there. You'll regret it, etc. But we all watched as she turned the corner and walked out of our view. It was probably only a few seconds, but it felt like we were waiting there for at least five minutes in anticipation. And then we all heard Cherry let out a blood-curdling scream and run straight back to us. She started telling us how she needed to leave now and she didn't want to be there anymore. I thought for a moment that she was just pulling a prank on us, but the look of fear in her eyes and the trembling in her voice seemed just too genuine for that. Finally though, everyone agreed to start walking back to the car. When we were within visuals of the car, Sarah suddenly stopped and asked me to look at her back as she lifted her shirt up. And... She had three long red scratch marks running down the length of her back. 
I said to her, holy crap, you have scratches, does it hurt? And Sarah was like, yeah, it burns. What, I have scratches? I started to reply to her when she interrupted me by screaming, run. You don't have to tell me twice. We all start running towards my car and as soon as I got in it, I started the car and asked if everyone was in and they frantically said yes, drive now. So I started to floor it when I heard one of them say, wait, Cherry's not here. I immediately stopped and backed up to find Cherry throwing a tantrum in the middle of the street. She yells at me, no it's cool, I'll stay here, and sits down in the middle of the street. I began to apologize and tell her to just get in the car, but she ignored me and just continued throwing a fit, yelling about how she wants to stay there and die and generally just being dramatic. I never did really like Cherry and while I did feel bad about almost leaving her there like that, her throwing a tantrum was really starting to piss me off and I was thinking about actually leaving her ass there for being a brat. But before I could, Sarah managed to convince her to get into the car and we began to drive off. We were about a quarter mile of the way when I saw a flashlight flickering on and off in the rearview mirror. I stopped and asked the rest of them if they saw that too. They said that they did and Sarah wanted me to turn around and see what it was. I refused and said that I wouldn't drive us back over there. And to that, Sarah replied with, Okay then, I'll drive. In my 16-year-old brain, I thought that that was a great idea and so we switched seats and she turned around. The lights appeared to be in the same location as the opening in the fence, but as we passed, we didn't see anything. We continued to drive about another quarter mile until we saw the flashing light in the rearview mirror again. So she turned around and again we didn't see anything when we passed. We repeated this two more times until I told her that I was fed up and that someone was probably just messing with us. And so we decided that we should just leave. But as we passed the entrance, she slammed the brakes and she rolled down a window. And in the shadow of the hedges, there was a man standing there just staring at us. The light from our phones were too dim to reach him and I was asking Riley to hand me her police flashlight but she was frozen in fear and I couldn't reach it. Sarah and Cherry were yelling at him, asking, hey, who are you? Were you the one with the flashlight? And then when he wouldn't answer, Cherry started to get aggressive with him. She started saying, hey, you freak, we're talking to you. What's your deal? And this next part still gives me shivers to this day. The man then took a step forward into the light so that we could see him. And in that moment, we all collectively realized what he was wearing. He had on a black cloak with a hood up and as he took another step forward, he raised his arms up to his side in a way that resembled Jesus Christ on the cross and in the most monotone but sinister voice said, don't worry guys, it's just me and smiled. As he said this, I was drawn to a reflection of light because he was holding a knife in his left hand. I immediately started yelling at Sarah to drive and he started sprinting towards the car. She floored it and as she did in the rearview mirror, we saw about 10 people run out of the hedges and the fence line towards our car. We were all looking back, screaming our heads off and when we turned onto the highway, we all eventually calmed down but after that, nobody spoke. When we reached the nearest gas station, Sarah asked to switch and I drove the rest of the way back to her house. Sarah and Cherry went to sleep upstairs in their bedroom. Cherry had actually been kicked out of her house and was temporarily living with Sarah and they shared a room and the bed in the room as well. Ryan and Riley and I slept on the big L-shaped couch downstairs in the living room and I was obviously still spooked but said a prayer and eventually I just fell asleep. And the next day when I went home, everything was normal. About a week later though, I got a text from Sarah to meet up. She had dropped out of school the previous semester to get a GED instead and since I was in AP classes it wasn't uncommon for me to not see her all week. That evening she came over to my house and she just looked awful. Her hair was greasy, her eyes looked tired and bloodshot and I knew immediately that something was up. I brought her up to my room and asked her what was wrong and she immediately started crying and told me about the past week. She said that night of the Dome's adventure and every night since then, she's had this same nightmare. 
she's looking down at herself sleeping from the corner of the bedroom ceiling when this demon begins to crawl out of her closet. Apparently, it has the head of a ram, but the body of a man with no genitalia. It crawls toward her bed, and it moves as if every bone in its body is kind of broken. She's filled with absolute dread, as all she can do is watch. It climbs onto her bed and breathes heavily over her unconscious body, and at this point, she's so terrified that a single tear drops down onto the beast. The exact moment that the tear makes contact with this creature, its head turns 180 degrees, and it makes eye contact with her, and then she immediately wakes up from the dream and begins sobbing. It even got to the point where she was trying to pull an all-nighter, but always ended up passing out from exhaustion, and that morning she had begun to share her experiences with Cherry, when Cherry began to shake and cry as well. Sarah was confused, until Cherry said, I've been having that exact same dream every night too. After that, everything seemed to settle down and we eventually lost contact, but I'll never forget that night at the domes and everything that happened. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This happened in my first year at uni, Australia. I was moving out of home for the first time and I think this made me very, very naive in this situation at 20 and female. So I found a cheap place in the city near my workplace or uni at the time, 150 bucks per week for a room in the storehouse, only 20 minutes out from the CBD. It seemed like an awesome deal to me and I messaged the landlord and told her that I was interested. Before she gave me time to come and inspect the place, she seemed overly interested in my ethnic background. I'm half Ethiopian, so I definitely don't look white, but when I told her that I'm Australian, she suddenly became kind of withdrawn. I thought it was strange. I mean, maybe she thought that I was lying because she had seen my profile photo on flatmates.com, so I explained my background. She seemed satisfied with my answer, and so we organized a time for me to come and see the room. So Denise showed me around and talked as if the place was already mine, which I thought was exciting. There was a main house with five bedrooms, a caravan on the side, and a granny flat behind it with three bedrooms, which is where I would be moving in. The main house and the caravan were full, seven people living there, but only one of the rooms in the granny flat was actually occupied. It was nice enough considering, and very clean. A weekly cleaner was included in the rent price, as well as weekly maintenance. I didn't think to ask what that meant because I was already pretty set in moving in, but I met the people who would go on to be my housemates. All of them were foreigners, mostly Chinese or South Korean, who had come to study. I still didn't find this odd. I mean, there are plenty of international students here. The door to my room had a lock on it, and I was told only myself and Denise had a key, but Denise never usually came to the house, so there was a nice level of privacy. So a week after I moved in, I met the maintenance guy, Patrick. He seemed to be gardening and came over to introduce himself. Seemed nice enough, and I found out that he's Denise's brother. 
He looked to be out in his late 40s or so, and I found him to be a, a little bit awkward, but I've been raised to be polite to a fault, so I ended up talking to him for a long time before going back to my room. I don't remember what we talked about, but I remember he kept saying things like I was very beautiful and describing my skin as exotic and caramel more than once, which kind of rubbed me the wrong way if I'm being honest. A few days later, the cleaner comes also. She's super lovely and has known Denise and Patrick for a long time. She and I had nice chats and for some reason she brought up that Patrick was on the autism spectrum. So to me, that explained his awkwardness and I realized that he's harmless so I felt bad about my initial judgment of him. The next time that I saw him, I came out into the kitchen and saw him standing there. This struck me as odd because... One, it was the morning and I was in my pajamas, having just woken up. Two, he's the maintenance guy. I didn't understand why he should be inside. But I felt bad, so I just smiled and I said g'day. He turned and seemed startled, but explained to me that he was just taking out the trash. I saw that he had actually replaced the bins in the kitchen, so I was just like, oh, okay, he was just trying to be nice, I guess. But I told him that he really didn't have to do that. He just kind of insisted though and I was like, meh, alright, whatever. I ended up talking to him again and again he seemed to have a weird fixation with me being exotic, even though I told him that I was born in Australia. But mostly he was just generally asking how I was finding the place and he reiterated that everything was super safe and for some reason brought up the keys to the bedrooms. He said only me, Denise and he had keys. I didn't say anything out loud but... In my head I thought, wait, since when does he have a key? But in the end, I still just kind of brushed it off. We cut to a few months later. I work about four to six days a week, casual, as well as going to uni four days, so I'm rarely there during the day, and I lock my bedroom door before leaving every day. I don't remember exactly what time of the year this would have been, but it was colder and I hadn't used the ceiling fan in my room for a while. I got home, unlocked my bedroom door, and I noticed that the ceiling fan was on. This struck me as odd immediately because I knew that I hadn't turned it on in like forever. I was very, very confused and thought that I'd turned it on while leaving or something and just didn't remember maybe. I brought it up with my roommate and she just kind of shrugged it off and said, that's odd, but didn't seem weirded out by it. So I figured that I was just overthinking it. Note too that I kept to myself a lot, wasn't close to any of my roommates and only talked to this woman occasionally. So a few weeks later I'm leaving for work and I have a very strange feeling while walking to the front gate of the house. For some reason I turn around and I see Patrick hiding behind some bushes staring at me. As soon as he's caught he turns and pretends to be gardening. In the moment my mind actually went kind of blank. I was like... Surely he wasn't just watching me, right? All I did was frown and kind of wonder to myself why he would stare at me like that and then pretend that he hadn't been. I come back later in the day though, unlock my door, walk in and again, something is just off. But this time I can't put my finger on it. I stand in my room looking around, staring at everything in the room but I can't find anything when I realize that I don't know what I'm looking for and... I feel creeped out and I just leave the room and tell my roommate again that I thought someone had been in my room. But this time, she sat down with me and basically said that she thought someone went into her room recently too. We chatted and she said that she left her bedroom window open when she went to work and when she came home, it was shut. I brought up the fan again and my roommate said that maybe we should let Denise know. So I texted Denise and said something along the lines of, I think someone's going into my room because of X and Y events, and my roommate said the same thing. I exchanged a few messages with Denise, but the general response from her was just, oh wow, that's so bizarre. Again, being super naive and young and way too polite for my own good, I assumed that I was just overreacting and didn't want to seem like a bad tenant. Thankfully, it turns out Denise was more sympathetic than I realized because she said that she was going to have the locks changed the next day. I was like, great, thanks, and assumed that that would be it. But in my head I was thinking, only three people have the keys, me, Denise, and Patrick. 
So if someone had been coming in, wouldn't it have had to have been one of the three of us? Which is why I didn't feel good when Patrick showed up the next day to change the lock himself, being the maintenance guy and all. I ended up leaving while he did the change, got a text later saying that it was done and new keys were in the mailbox. Fast forward now and I'd now been at this place for nearly a year. By now I was aware that Patrick seemed to come over about twice a week and he always came inside the house to take out the rubbish but never seemed to really do maintenance work. I chalked it up to Denise giving him a job because maybe he couldn't find one elsewhere and I tried to avoid him. As far as I remember, nothing else seemed strange until now and I came home from work again and walked in to my bedroom. And while I'm getting my clothes to shower, I noticed something very, very strange that was definitely not there when I left. There was some whitish pale gunk kind of splattered upwards on the wall and the floor. Honestly, my first thought when looking at it after a while was like, that looks like donut glaze or something. I leaned closer to it but still didn't really register what the stuff was, only that I definitely didn't spill anything at all in here. So again, I got creeped, went to the kitchen, grabbed the chucks and wiped it up. When I had the thought like, wait, is that? I really didn't know what to look for but as soon as I had that thought, nothing could convince me otherwise and again, my door had been locked, only myself, Denise and Patrick had keys. My roommate wasn't home, but I called Denise right away. She didn't answer, so instead I messaged her and said basically someone had been in my room and there was some weird stuff splattered on the wall. I wanted to see if she came to the same conclusion that I did, but her response this time was really off. She messaged me back hours later and was dismissive, said something like, yeah, very bizarre, the lock has been changed though, and I was like, yeah, obviously... So, who do you think would have been in there? I felt so weird and kind of grossed out that I went to a friend's place and messaged my stepdad about it. I told him everything for the first time too, and I guess that it sounds a lot worse all at once because his response was, Hell no, you're moving out of there. I called Denise and I told her that I was moving out if the issue wasn't taken seriously. And this is when I realized that the leasing situation at this place was really dodgy, which I didn't know beforehand due to lack of experience and no sense to ask. But essentially, there was no record of me actually being a tenant, and I was just kind of sending money into this lady's bank account, but there wasn't any official paperwork. I looked back over the stuff that I'd signed when I initially moved in, and it was actually typed up by Denise, I assume. I don't remember details, but it wasn't official at all, and again, super naive and young. So, I was able to move out ASAP. Denise didn't put up a fuss about the short notice, and when I came back the next day, the stuff on the wall was gone, so I didn't have any proof of what actually happened. But that at least just kind of confirmed to me that something weird was going on with Denise and Patrick. My stepdad helped me take all my stuff out. I didn't have much. Denise just left a message and said please leave the keys on the counter and it took me a few weeks to process every creepy thing that happened throughout my stay there and put it all together as a, a kind of a massive creep fest. My roommate left soon after that as well and months later she actually messaged me to say that one of the old housemates told her that the police were called to the place and they don't know why or what happened but I suspect that it wasn't for the tenants. So I was at a concert of my co-worker that time and it wasn't really good and at a church in a small town 40 minutes away by car from the town that I lived and when it was over I found out that I missed my last bus. I asked my co-worker if I could sleep at his place but he rejected it so I did what I always do in such a situation. I walked. It was the time before smartphones so the only way for me to find the right path was by reading the street signs and hope for the best. I'll also admit that uh, I cried the entire time while I was walking. It was 2 in the morning though when I arrived at the next train station. I thought that I could take a ride with a cab but there were no cabs. I didn't know what to do so I waited at the place where the cab should be and I smoked a cigarette. Should I walk the way home? Another hour by foot or even more at least. 
Should I wait until a cab shows up or the first train in the morning? I didn't know what to do. But then, a car showed up and stopped in front of me. The man inside rolled down the passenger window and spoke to me. Hey, can you give me a light please? He said. I wasn't comfortable at all going over to him, but I did. I gave him a light and quickly turned around and stood at the same place as before. He didn't drive away though and asked where I had to go and I said in which town that I lived and he invited me to get into his car. He said that it was on the way and he could bring me home. After thinking about it for some time too, I really just don't know why I even got in the car. I didn't even want to, but I guess I was tired. The ride itself wasn't bad at all. We had a bit of small talk and he drove the usual route that I knew and he wasn't creepy at all while driving. And I thought maybe he was just really a nice guy, just trying to help me out. So I guided him to my house, but he didn't stop in front of it. Instead, he drove a bit further away. I thanked him and gave him my lighter as a gift, and when I was about to open the door and leave the car, he said, what the hell is wrong with you? I was surprised by this sudden mood change, and I asked, caught off guard, what? I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was something along the lines of, that's not how you thank someone who drove you home in the middle of the night. I expect you to do another favor for me in return. Something like that anyway. I kind of understood what he implied, but... Well, I'm no hooker, so I chuckled a little bit, thanked him again, gave him the lighter and I got out of the car. I was walking towards my home too when I heard him opening the door and closing it, the door of his car that is, and then the sound of him running towards me. I looked over my shoulder and saw him getting closer to me. I shrieked, kind of like a mouse, and I started running as well. At the door of my home, I quickly opened it, got inside, locked it, ran upstairs to my bedroom, locked my door as well and just hid under my blanket. I got away and nothing else happened that night. He didn't do anything else. And he left and after that, I never saw him again. So my friend in the neighborhood found a Ouija board in his brother's stuff while he was away at college. He told me what it was and asked me if I wanted to play it with him. Trying to impress him, I said yes, and we went into his room and we tried it out. But nothing happened, and we were left pretty disappointed. But later that week, he called me and told me that he looked up how to use the board properly and wanted to give it another go. I agreed, as I was pretty confident nothing would happen again. So we grabbed a bunch of scented candles, and we placed them around the board and did the whole seance stuff. We asked the board if anyone was there, and it, of course, went to yes. We thought the other was messing around, but we agreed to take it seriously because I didn't really care if it was just a stupid joke. But we asked the ghost what its name was, and it spelled out Owen. My friend asked if it was a person, and it went to no. We asked what it was, and it actually spelled out demon. I then asked for it to prove it. And you know that call into the intro to Finding Bigfoot? Well, that's the closest thing to what we heard from the garage. Keep in mind, it was only us in the house and it scared the absolute crap out of us and we just ran straight out of the house. We also checked the garage after a while, but there was nothing. Anyway, a few weeks go by and he tells me how he's having paranormal experiences in his house. He feels like he's being watched whenever he's downstairs in the kitchen in the living room. He feels someone sitting on the end of his bed every night and every time that he walks past the garage, he feels someone grab his wrist and pull it towards the garage. Whenever I went over, I always got that feeling that someone was looking at me from the ceiling. It was definitely weird and unnatural. But then came the scariest part of all. So we were at his house playing army in his room while no one else was home when we began to hear these heavy footsteps downstairs, except whatever was making it obviously had hooves or something. In fact, it sounded like a full-grown horse was walking around downstairs. Then, we heard someone begin to laugh and cough at the same time. My friend ran over and slammed the door shut and we hid. He hid under his bed while I hid in the closet. But then, it sounded like someone began scratching his door with like one big claw or something. He started crying and I was honestly on the verge of tears as well. My friend yelled, leave us alone Owen, you're scaring us, and it began to stop and then we heard it run down the stairs. 
My friend got up and threw me out of the closet and grabbed the Ouija board that was in there with me. He ran down the stairs, ripped the screen door off of his gas fireplace, threw the thing in there, put the screen back on and went to turn it on. But when he was just about to turn it on, we heard a, a loud moan from the basement, which was right behind my friend. He flicked the fireplace on and the board began to burn. And that was pretty much the end of it, and we just played outside since he was way too scared to go back into the house until his parents got home. His parents came home and saw that he'd burned his brother's Ouija board. They grounded him and threw the burnt board away. But after that, there was no more paranormal experiences in my friend's house anymore. But if anyone ever asks me to join in on a seance or with Ouija boards ever again... That's exactly why I will never take part in any of these games ever again. So I, a 21 female, used to live in a really bad neighborhood when I was a kid. Drive-by shootings were not uncommon. Rapes had happened in surrounding houses while we lived there and before we moved. We also found out that the sweet man across the street was actually a certified sex offender. So, obviously, not a great place for children to walk around alone, right? True, but if you have a 70-pound good boy that is completely dedicated to protecting you, it's doable. So, my mum, little brother in his stroller, me and Spanky, my good boy, went for a walk around the neighbourhood to go two blocks away to go to the community pool. I, like most six-year-olds, wanted to wander ahead with my dog because he was always gentle when I had the lead and walked closely to me. As we were nearing the pool, there was a stretch of hedges that lined the walkway to the pool entrance. Spanky was walking ahead of me by maybe about three feet. He sniffed towards a bush and just came to a complete stop. He began posturing and growling deeply, baring his teeth to the bush. He had never growled like this before, and to me, it was kind of horrifying to see my best bud like this. I tried to walk around him, and he turned the back end of his body to block me, his eyes still fixed on the bush. I tried again, and he does it yet again, and my mum is still about four houses behind and hasn't noticed this yet. But then I see the bush start to move and take a step back. I say to my mum, Mum, I think Spanky found a kitty. I start taking a step towards the bush and am knocked over completely by Spanky at this point. I'm crying and on the ground, scraped elbow. No biggie, but it definitely gets my mum running. And exactly at this moment, a man bolts out from the bush and takes off running. When Spanky knocked me over, it made me drop his leash, so he booked it after this guy. About 300 feet away from the bush, Spanky caught up with him and made some sickening contact with this guy's ankles and forearms. Now, I've heard a lot of screams on TV and in movies, but I had never heard a real blood-curdling scream like this before. My mum pulled me close and pulled out her phone, fingers shaking. While she's on the phone with 911, you can hear this guy screaming, get him off me, and me going, Spanky, he's not a kitty. Spanky may have actually mangled a stray cat who wandered into the yard before this, just FYI. But when the police arrived, they asked for a full version of events, and my mum and I gave the details the best that we could. Spanky was sitting contently at our feet after the officers and my mum removed Spanky from this guy. The guy was taken in cuffs, and after a quick checkup by the ambulance, he was fine, just a few good bites. Spanky definitely held back somewhat. But about 10 years later, I asked my mother about it when I was looking through old photo albums and saw a picture of me and Spanky playing in the backyard. She sighed and said, Oh, you know what happened. We don't need to talk about it. I said, Well, yeah, but why would he attack some random homeless guy? And my mum made a really confused face and I said, What? That's what happened, right? She then says, I guess I can tell you now. I didn't want to tell you back then because I didn't want you to worry, but the man who Spanky pulled out of that bush had been spotted peeking into the houses in the neighborhood that had kids. He was the same man that was hiding in the backyard when you had a sleepover at your friend's house. He had a knife that he dropped when he ran from the bush, and the police thought that he might have been canvassing the neighborhood before he decided who to take, and if it wasn't for Spanky, it might have actually have been you. 
So yeah, basically, this guy was a complete pedophile that had been spending weeks at night creeping into people's backyards that he knew had children so that he could break into our rooms individually and, and kidnap us and most likely much worse. I live 300 miles from there now and still to this day, I cannot handle coming to that stupid hedge even if I try. Like I mentioned in my previous story, my boxer actually saved me from almost being kidnapped by someone who scouted us out. And there was a pedophile in the neighborhood who was looking for his chance to strike, but my boy stopped him before he could. But this is actually what led up to this happening just one week beforehand. So like I said in the other story, this was a really bad neighborhood, but it was also full of families with young kids and most of us in the neighborhood were around the same age and liked to play together. One of my friends was a little girl called Alexis and we were both six years old. We lived right across the street from one another and we played often when our older sisters who were friends would play too. Most of the time we played in the street, our front yards or either one of our houses. We also had semi-weekly sleepovers after I had ballet and she had t-ball. But for this particular sleepover, it was Alexis's birthday, so we went door-to-door -door in the neighborhood and handed out handmade invitations to the Big Seven sleepover. We went to about six or seven houses, I'd say, to rally our friends, and about eight little girls in total attended. That night, too, her mum let us set up our sleeping bags in the living room, right next to the sliding glass door that led out to the backyard. This was on the opposite side of the house from her mum's room, but we all insisted on sleeping there, and she obliged in the end because she had work the next evening and just wanted to get some sleep. So we were all playing hide-and-go-seek in the living room and the kitchen when Alexa's big sister suggested that we turn off the lights and play in the dark instead. I, afraid of the dark and still used a nightlight religiously, said no, but was quickly outvoted, we were playing for about five minutes, and when I was hiding next to the sliding glass door behind the curtain, I was getting bored and decided to look outside. I look outside, and I see this big-ass oak tree in the backyard, and I see a branch move. I squint, and I look a little closer, really hoping that I could see an owl or a squirrel or something. The branch moves again, and this time I see two glowing circles. I get really excited and think, that's such a huge owl, those eyes are ginormous. My sister is the seeker and comes over and finds me because she knows that I always hide there. When she tags me, I say, hey sissy, look how big the owl's eyes are. And my sister looks and her expression just goes flat. She says, there's nothing there and I begin insisting that I see a giant owl and she keeps insisting that there isn't an owl. This draws all the other girls over and eventually all of us start walking over to the glass door to see. The branch shakes again but a lot more violently this time and we all let out a little squeal and I say, see I told you. Alexis starts getting excited too and then says, here let's turn on the outside light so we can see him better. She then turns on the light and we then see this dude sitting in a tree trying to scramble down the trunk and getting stuck on a branch. We all lose it and start screaming our heads off. This wakes a mum up who comes running down the hallway with a handgun in her hand and PJs on. She was a single mum in the hood and it was a good thing to have. The dude manages to get down right as she gets to the glass. And this badass woman opens the glass, runs into her backyard gun in hand and says, You better keep running. Eventually she comes back in and calms all of us down best that she can while she calls the police and all of our parents too. Since we all live so close though, most of our parents come before the police did. And, unfortunately after that, we didn't get to sleep over at our house ever again. This happened to me over a decade ago, but I'll never forget the feeling deep in my chest, both that night and the next morning when the true nature of the situation became apparent. It was late December in a small Texas town. We had just received five inches of snow earlier in the day. I can't remember what time it was, and all I remember was it was dark out. I was playing in my room though, and it's important to note that my room was made up of two rooms. My mudroom with a door leading out to the front, then my actual bedroom. 
The door was an old-style wood door with all the old hardware and had a window on the top half. It had a window shade, but that wouldn't stop anyone from looking in if they wanted. My room was the frontmost, with my parents' room being in the back of the house as well. So I was in my mudroom playing with my Hot Wheels when I felt something weird, like someone was watching me. I was trying to focus on the little openings left by the window shade. I stared, looking for any reason to feel unsafe and run, but after a while I was sure that there was nothing, so I went back to playing. A few minutes later, I got that feeling again though, and this time I didn't look at the door, but instead moved to where my back was now at the door, and I was just hoping that it was all in my head. Just then, the most terrifying thing happened. There was a noise at the door, like the doorknob was being touched. I was still turned around, back facing the door. I was completely frozen at the metal-on-metal metal sound of the doorknob. It was definitely moving. I didn't know how or why, but it was moving, slowly turning, testing the lock. I wanted to move, but I was frozen. It was honestly like someone just glued every joint in my body. My chest felt like a car was parked on it. My parents had been in the shower all the way at the back of the house, leaving me at the front all alone, with the only room lit up being mine. Suddenly, the doorknob was not being gently moved, and someone was turning it with force now. This door was one that had been locked with a skeleton key, so the knob could turn and open freely. Luckily, there were two deadbolts, and whoever was on the other side just figured out that the knob was free to open. As soon as I heard the knob turn all the way, I sprung up to the wall about five feet from the door, my back to the wall. The door fell silent and I found myself glued on the wall, unable to move. Then the knob turned slowly and I remember watching, just waiting for it to turn all the way. When it did, whoever was on the other side started to try and budge the door and pry it open. And at first it was easy going, but then they started pounding into the door with their foot and... They got only two kicks in when I unfroze and screamed for my life. I sprinted to the back of the house to get my parents. They asked what was wrong and I told them that someone was trying to break in. They immediately ran and checked, not bothering to look outside, which I pleaded them to go and check outside. And they just said that my imagination was running wild and it must have been an animal or the old age of the house. They took one final look in my mudroom, not bothering to investigate any further, and then I was just told to go to bed. It took me hours, and I don't even remember falling asleep. All I remember is staring at the door from my bed, never taking my eyes off the doorknob. Suddenly, though, I was woken up by my parents, who were obviously distressed and seemed to be scared. My mom grabbed me by both shoulders and got right in front of me. She asked very sternly why I thought someone tried to break in. When I told them this time, they actually seemed to listen. I was really worried how serious they were as they asked me about everything. But when I was done, they said that they have to go show me something, and they took me to the front door and out to the front yard, and pointed to my door near the driveway. And when I looked, you could clearly see bootprints in the snow, walking along the street through our yard and straight to my window, then my mudroom door, where I'd been playing the night prior. The police showed up and took a report, but nothing ever really came from it, and I was never able to sleep well in that house again. I can never forget what it felt like as a child to go through this, and to not have my parents believe me like that. I'm just glad that I wasn't home alone, and very thankful for those deadbolts. When I was a senior in high school, I babysat for a family friend of ours, and I normally didn't babysit their kid, but their usual sitter cancelled last minute, so I thought why not. The baby, he was uh, one or two years old, and around 9pm I put him into bed upstairs in his crib. I watched TV downstairs in the living room with a baby monitor next to me, and after a couple of hours I hear the baby screaming, and it was like nothing I've ever heard before or since. It didn't sound like a normal baby crying, and his shriek conveyed a, a sense of terror so far removed from an infant's normal emotional spectrum that I just instantly panicked. I rushed upstairs to check on the kid. I opened the door to find him standing in his crib, holding himself up with one hand and his other hand pointing at the closet. I gathered my courage, and I opened the closet, and when I did, there was nothing there. 
Since his parents would be home soon, I decided to comfort him on the couch downstairs. 10 or 15 minutes later, the parents arrived. Immediately, they were rightfully a little put off, wondering why the baby wasn't in bed. I explained what happened, clearly still a little bit freaked out. And the mother became visibly distraught, flew upstairs without a word, and the father solemnly apologized to me, then asked for my discretion, to which I agreed. He then told me that his wife had been seeing the ghost of a Civil War soldier standing at the foot of their bed. He paid me a little bit too generously, and after that, I just went home. But the memory of that kid's shriek still sends a, a chill up my spine. Although I didn't see anything, I think my experience validated what the mother had been seeing. For her, at least, I think. I'm not sure the husband believed her or whether that night changed his opinion or anything. At the very least, I got the vibe that they disagreed about it. But after that, I never babysat for them again. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Be Scared Podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family and on social media too. Thanks again for listening guys, and I'll see you mates in the next one. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.